Hello and welcome to episode 304 of Fergon the Freak. I'm that bloke from Rugby League Project, Andrew Ferguson. You can find me on Twitter, at AndrewRP. And join me as always is the glorious League Freak. You can also find me on Twitter, at League Freak. How you going there, mate? I'm going well, Andrew. How are you today? Just getting some practice in. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes practice makes perfect. Yeah. And after 304 attempts, sometimes it doesn't make much fucking difference at all. That's true. That's yeah. true. Um... What should we talk about? Let's talk about how absolutely abysmal rugby league is at the moment. Okay, that sounds like a good idea. I can't think of anything else to talk about. <laughs> I think that this is the worst round of football I've seen in my lifetime. What about you? It's God, it's up there. It's up yeah. there. I um I did some stats on the weekend mm-hmm. just to find out um you know, how the margins are looking after 80 games, because that's how many games we've had in the NRL so far this year. Yeah. And so I went back to the first season that had at least 80 games in it, which was 1947. And I checked the first 80 games for every single year from then until now. And it'll be a surprise to absolutely no one that 2021 has got the widest margin between the winners and losers in the history of the game after 80 games. Yeah, we're not seeing very many good games. Well, and when I say good games, I mean games that are a contest at the moment mm. at all. Like if if we're seeing one or two a week, that's a bonus. Most games you can say are over by about the thirty minute mark. It's terrible to watch. I think the quality of football is really really low. Um, the play the balls are. As bad, almost as bad as when they what they were in the early two thousands when the rule set was basically unlimited in a change when we were playing touch football, and the tackling technique is out the window because you know there's there's so much fatigue in the game. The sets of six six again, six again, six again. It's letting momentum just run away with one side or the other, and it's just bad for the sport and it looks horrible. It's a horrible brand of football. Yeah. Well, and what we've got now is um, administration that is trying to save its own ass. Yeah. Um, you know, for whatever reason, Vlandy thought last year that the game needed to be faster. No one with half a brain was complaining about the game being too slow. No one. And no one was complaining about the little men not being in the game anymore. We, you know, 2018, 2019, we found the balance. The game was in, you know, and we had the right balance there. Games were close. The competition was close. There was very little between, you know, a win and a loss for pretty much most of the teams. There were more close games on average than there had been in a long, long time. Yeah, we're talking 30-odd years at least. Um, it was that close, you know, the the way the, the, the games were going, it was that close. It was fantastic. And he decided that we needed to speed the game up. We needed to, in, in his odd attempt, to try and get the little men back into the game. And what happened was we got six agains, or these set restarts. He scrapped a lot of scrums. 
the set restarts obviously got rid of a lot of penalties, which meant there was next to no time for rest on the field during games. It was just non-stop action. And sure, this sounds great in theory. What it meant was lots and lots of fatigue. And when you've got players who are, making, who are very fatigued, they are taking a split second longer, maybe even a whole second longer, to make a decision on the field when it comes to defence. So it means they may not get crouched down in the right position to make a low tackle or get into the right position. And so all of a sudden their head or their neck area is hitting the hip of someone and that's knocking them out. Um, they're wrapping around a bit late and so they're having head clashes. They're standing up and because they're not getting down in time. So they're, you know, head clashing, not just with the player that's running at them, but their own teammates. Their, their you know, arms and legs are getting in the wrong areas. And this is these are all just basic fatigue errors that are coming into play. There's no illegal headshots here. Yeah, and that, like that's not even taken into account the fatigue injuries we're seeing. You know, how many, um, you know, we started seeing Achilles injuries last year, which are very, very rare, those injuries. And, uh, like, this year has been, well, just look at the Sydney Roosters. Like, a, a big chunk of their first-grade squad has just been decimated with injuries. And there's very few clubs in the NRL that don't have a really long injury list. And you can attribute that to the game's rules being changed, you know, last year out of nowhere. And this year, like, it is literally just about on a weekly basis now. I mean, we had an extra player added to the bench just a couple of weeks ago. That's a massive change. That's a huge, huge change to the game. And they're just doing it on a whim. And as you say, they're trying to chase their own tail. They're trying to fix up messes that they've created themselves. and But they're not willing to say, you know what? This rule change was a bad idea. We're reverting back. Instead of saying that, they're saying, oh, no, no, no. The rule changes we put in place, they're fantastic. They're exactly what we need. But we need this rule change on top of it to make it even better. Trust us. I know you hate it. I know the players hate it and the coaches hate it and all the supporters hate it. But this is what the game needs to survive. And there's this line that Peter Volandis and Graham Manisley keep putting out. If we don't do this, the game will die. <laughs> what? Like, it, it's it's a cool line to say. But what does that actually mean? It's scaremongering bullshit. It really is. And I, look, I, I saw people saying, well, what about what happened in the NFL? If that happens over here, you know, the game will die. First of all, the NFL didn't die. That's the first thing to remember. Second of all, the situation in the NFL, the game in the NFL, the culture in the NFL, and what the NFL itself went out of its way to do to overlook the concussion issues they had, it is not even in the same universe as what Rugby League has done over the last 40 years to try and lower every single risk it can of players not only getting concussions, but getting injured in general. Yeah, it's... What it is, it, it's infuriating how stupid this administration is as to how much of this problem 
they've created mm. and how reluctant they are to uh, accept it. I know they're not going to admit it because their the ego is obscene. Yeah. But if you go and create a game whereby you reduce the amount of stoppages in a game, then yeah, fatigue is going to become a massive impact and that's going to impact the way you know, bodies function. Yeah. And so these little stoppages we had all the time, they actually had a benefit to everybody, not just, you know, allowing players to reset or, you know, have take a quick breather, but it also meant that their bodies had a chance to get a bit of oxygen in there and maybe be better prepared for the physical contact that has to go through, which also then helps them better avoid injury. Yeah, there's now, a reason why rugby league over 120 years got to where it was because it worked out what worked and what didn't work. And as you said, like in 2019, the sport was in a really good place of balance between, you know, the right amount of fatigue, the right number of players on the bench, the right number of interchanges we had. Everything seemed to be in a really good place. And that's been messed with. And what have we ended up with? A game that is just so, so messy, that has very little structure. Defense is out the window. We've really, I mean, if you look at the NRL this year, there's really only been one team that you can say has played really well. I know Parramatta have only lost one game, but I think there are a lot of games you could look at Parramatta and say they haven't played really well in those games. You know, we've even seen the storm fall off quite badly at times this year. And I'm watching a style of football that's not fun to watch and just games that generally aren't fun to watch where, you know, you see a try scored and they'll go back and look at it in case something happened and we're taking points off the board. And, you know, now we're sending players off for 10 and, and off the field completely and, We've got dozens and dozens of players put on report. And it's like, what what are we actually doing here? Because rugby league's supposed to be fun, just like any sport. And if what we're doing isn't enjoyable for anyone, we really need to have a look at it. And the, the other thing I think that we need to do, and I saw Peter Valenti saying that he wants to make sure that parents keep allowing their children to play rugby league. What we see in the NRL is not rugby league that you see on a weekend that your kid plays. And I think that anybody that watches an NRL game says, I'm not going to let my kid play that sport. I don't think they were going to let their kid play rugby league anyway. Like, I think we're we're trying to bring in people that are probably not going to let their kid play rugby league under any circumstances anyway. Exactly. Look, oh, I've got so much to complain about with this. Mm. Um, first of all, obviously, the the first thing they wanted to do, they wanted to try and bring the little men back into this game. How many little men are currently injured? Yeah. <laughs> I think Brody Croft at the Broncos. Um, Kiri. Charles Nicol Klockstad. Oh. Um... You got Jeremy Marshall King, Lachlan Lewis, Corey Allen, 
Um, Sean Johnson. <laughs> Hash Taylor. Um, I'm just going to reach club off the top of my head. Kieran Foran. Um, and how little the, do these players need to be before they're satisfied? I know. Pappenhausen, like, Harry Grant, Cameron Munster, Brandon Smith. <laughs> you know, then you've got Caelan Ponga, Blake Green, Mitchell Pearce. Um, oh, it's Will Smith, Dylan Brown. Well, Dylan Brown suspended. Will Smith, um, Latrell Mitchell. He's not really small, I know, but still he's, you know, in a spine player. Matt Dufty, Andrew McCulloch. Uh, Cameron McInnes. Then you've got all these players at the Roosters. Freddie Lussick, Zam Ferrells, Drew Hutchison, uh, Luke Keary. Uh, yeah, it's just... How the hell can we get to ourselves in a situation where we, we've we got this administration that thinks they know how to get little men back into the game and what they've done is wear them out to to an extent where now they're getting completely injured and now they're not in the game at all. Uh, the fucking contradiction. The, the utter stupidity of it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this, this whole obsession with speeding the game up is the only thing it is the only thing in my mind that has been the biggest contributor to the amount of head knocks and concussions going on in the game at the moment. Not not some sort of phantom increase in the number of people intentionally attacking the head of players. Players don't do that. Okay? It's been illegal to attack the head of players since fucking day one. No one's going out of their way now to start attacking the heads of players automatically now. That's not the reason why people are getting knocked out. It's fatigue is the major reason for that. And having the game going as fast as it does is the biggest problem there. And so this administration's solution to that is to start putting people in the sin bin for incidental head knocks, which aren't illegal hits, which then means that you've got 12 on 13, 11 on 12. And that means more players left on the field having to do more work. Or sorry, less players on the field having to do more work, which just increases the fatigue even fucking more. Mm-hmm. We're not solving a problem here. We're exacerbating it. And it's a problem that never needed to exist in the first place. And it's all because this dumb prick who runs the fucking game now seems to think it needs to be faster. And with no stoppages, when no one, no one complained about the speed of the game. No. Uh, he's created an imaginary issue. He's then tried to solve it by creating a massive real-life issue. And his way of trying to deal with that issue he's just created is to make the issue worse. Yeah. Every single rule change that has been brought in since the NRL returned uh, last year after COVID has has made the problems that we have today worse, you know. And I know you and me have pushed back when we've seen campaigns by the media where they'll be like, oh, is there more knee injuries at the moment than there's ever been before? What's causing that? Is it the boots? Is it the grass? Is it the turf? And we have kind of said, well, you know, it seems like it was a bad weekend or two. This is the first time I've really seen a prolonged occurrence of 
so so many different issues too like so many concussions so many soft tissue injuries so many players that have had those injuries that are almost like repetitive use injuries that come from fatigue mm-hmm. um I mean, the injury rate across the league has skyrocketed. And the only change we have had are to the rules, you know, and and the fact that they can't go back on those changes. They can't say we made a mistake. Nobody there can say they're wrong. They're all like Fonzie. They can't say the, the W word. And they're trying really hard to convince everybody that they're right and everyone else is wrong. And, you know, at some point, I think the Australian Rugby League Commission overall needs to step up and do their job because the game is supposed to be administrated by a board of people, not just one person. And right now we've got one person who is so out of control with what they are doing. And they're, they're pushing the game in a direction that nobody is enjoying. Nobody likes. No one's asking for. No, yeah, no one. No one. And if that's the case, what are we doing it for? Because this isn't Peter Volandi's plaything, okay? This isn't... This is a, an entire game with hundreds of thousands, if not millions of shareholders in Australia at all sorts of levels, whether it be junior players, administrators at, at junior clubs... NRL players, player managers, coaches, you know, everybody is involved in this, you know, members, fans, people that just watch on TV, all of them. And it's all just being played with by one person. And that is not what the independent commission was supposed to be about. The independent commission was supposed to be about having people in charge of the game that knew their role as custodians of the game that did what was best for the game overall. And when the entire game is pushing back at these changes, surely the independent commission has to stand up and say, you know what? This is the wrong direction. Everyone hates this. And they're not doing it. They're all being silent and they're all standing behind Peter Volandis. And that's not good enough. That's not their role. No, I fully agree. It's... Yeah, it's it's got to the point where we we've got we've got to start actually also realizing well, not us we know, but you know, the impact the media's had in this. Because mm-hmm. from day one they pushed so hard to get Peter Volandis as chair of the ARLC and they got what they wanted and they've done puff piece after puff piece and even even today James Hooper was in the media talking about how these changes were a great idea and why. And this is what they do. They change the direction of the argument. You know, we shouldn't be making hits to the head legal or being taking a soft stance on them. No one's arguing, James, that we take a soft stance on this. What we're arguing is not that the, the sin binning of, of headshots is, is obscene or wrong. What we're saying is that's not the solution to the problem at hand. Mm-hmm. The problem is the massive changes that the game took for no reason to speed it up. We're talking about the removal of scrums, a good chance to have a rest. It's only a short rest, but you know, that's gone. 
removal of half the penalties that, that a team would get. So now we've just got set restarts. What does that do? More, more than anything, what we've seen is it's creating a more of a rugby union type of game, and bear with me on this, and it's where teams are able to maintain possession for longer, which yep. means opposition teams then have to defend for longer stints of the game, and that wears a team out even faster. And this is happening more and more. We're seeing now, we're hearing stats during games of a team saying, you know, Comiso saying, you know, Team A has had, you know, 72% possession in the last 40 minutes. You're going, that should never fucking happen. No. And it wasn't and, happening under the old no. rules. And, you know, there were there were halves under the old rules where a team might have had 60% of possession in the first half. And you thought to yourself, well, you know what? They better aim up in the second half because that tends to turn around in the second half. And we're seeing games where it's not turning around at all. No, it doesn't. And that's the thing is it's so easy to just maintain pressure because you know the opposition is just going to give away a penalty and they're going to give away a set restart on the first tackle. You know, we saw saw it with the Bulldogs, I think, on in Magic Round where um, they gave away a penalty after Canberra, I think, got a seven-tackle set. They caught a bomb in their own end goal. Mm-hmm. So Cam- Bulldogs, what they do is just one of the few smart things I've seen them do is they intentionally gave away a penalty after Canberra caught the ball because it meant that instead of Canberra having a seven-tackle set from the 20-metre line, they only got a six-tackle set. Yeah. You know, that's, that's a stupid system. Yeah, 100%. You know, a team gave away a penalty, and they were the ones who got rewarded, not their opponent. That's fucking stupid, but that's the system we have now. And this is the problem we have with Vlandis is he's brought through all of these changes and all of these tweaks with zero, zero testing, zero conversation. And look, we can comment and criticise Todd Greenberg an awful lot for being a bureaucrat and a politician and he sat there and he deliberated over shit for ages. But there's a method to that madness and that is things don't get implemented if they're stupid. It gets tested first and you find out if it's right or not or whether we should work with it or twist it around and tweak it here, there and whatever else before we implement it. And that's not to say that everything he made was a good decision. It's more the fact that none of the decisions he made were as diabolical as what we've got right now. Yeah, they weren't outrageous. No. You know, they weren't... These have been game-breaking decisions that have been made by Peter Valandis and Graham Annesley. They've... You know, you watch the games on the weekend, they're not... It is scrappy, messy football. There's no structure to it. Uh, Defence is a dirty word, except for one team in the entire league, really. And players are all going off injured, and they're getting, you know, sent to the bin and sent off and put on report. And it's just not... It's not a good product. And that's the thing about rugby league... You know, as rugby league supporters, we've always taken pride in saying, you know what, we have the best game in the world. We've got a sport that shows all of the best qualities of what a sporting contest should be. You know, it's got athleticism, it's got speed, it's got toughness, it's got skill, it's got moments that come out of nowhere that just light the crowd up. It's got magic. It's got the big, powerful players that, 
can do something crazy with an offload or a step where they bust through. It's got skillful little men who can, you know, just out of nowhere tear a game apart. It's got everything you could possibly want. And I'm watching the game on the weekend and I'm like, I'm a diehard rugby league fan and have been since the day I was born. And I didn't enjoy the football. And if I'm not enjoying it, how are we supposed to sell this to anyone? Because it's the first round of football I've ever seen where I don't think I enjoyed any of the games, really. I mean, even the Panthers games. And I can say this because my team's running away with competition at the moment. The football this year has been shit. It's Uh really, really been shit. It really has. There's nothing memorable about this season at all, like, you know, in a good sense. And you've only got to look at the the current ladder right now. There's only five teams out of 16 with a positive points differential. Mm. Five. Did you know that two of those teams have got a points differential of more than 200? That's Melbourne and Penrith. Yeah. That's after 10 games. Yeah, the the ladder, if you have a look at the ladder at the end of 2018, after 24 games, not one team had a points differential of 200. You know, and I, I'm watching these games, and I, I watch the Panthers games obviously a lot closer than every other game, but I watch every game. And, you know, the Panthers, I don't know if I'm looking at them and saying, you know, I, like I feel like their defense is... It's the best I've ever seen. I feel like they're doing something historic defensively. But I'm also looking at the opposition teams they're playing, and, man, a lot of these teams, they just strangle out of the game. And they do it through completion rates and, you know, six-again calls that they get because they're wearing opposition teams out because they're not giving the ball up cheaply. And, you know, they're really going well. But it's not like I'm watching these games and I'm going... Wow, this is amazing football. They're, they're carving up the opposition. They're kind of playing the numbers. Yeah, it's and it's low percentage football, but that's what the game is now. Yeah, yeah. And like and then I look at the Melbourne Storm who have traditionally been in that role that the Panthers have been in. And they've done it for many years. And I'm looking at the Storm and I'm like, wow, they're playing scrappy football. And it's because basically everyone apart from Penrith is playing some form of scrappy football. Yeah. So, like, and that's that's one of the things. Like, I could literally sit here and say, this is the greatest season ever, blah, blah, blah. I'm not saying that at all. This is the worst football I've seen since the early 2000s. And I don't enjoy it. No. We've we've got to a point where the, the efforts to try and bring the little men into the game at a time when the little men were already in the game, um, have resulted in taking the little men out of the game via injury. Yep. And we're going back to what we had, as you mentioned, in the early 2000s, where you have, you know, probably the best of, of at least a dozen out of your 17 players are all built almost identically. Yeah. And that's what we're heading back towards. And we got away from that for good reason. Because it was boring. Yeah, it was horrible. It yeah. was horrible. You'd so just have a, a team of, you know, second rowers and yeah. second rowers all on your bench. That's right. That That's what we had. It was it was absurd and stupid. 
Um, it wasn't conducive to good football at all, which is why we changed it so you could get the little men back into the game and get some different body sizes and, you know, change things up a little bit. And now we're going back that opposite direction where I think, like, one of the reasons why Penrith are doing so well is because they don't have massive props. Yeah. Like, Leota's be your biggest men, but um, the rest rest of Penrith's front row rotation are just slightly bigger second rowers, so they're more mobile, which means they've got, they can play more minutes um, and play more minutes at a higher intensity than everybody else. And so that yeah. means in the middle, they are so much stronger and for longer than anybody else. Well, you look at James Fisher-Harris, like he's the perfect example. And mm. I said he's, he's the best front rower in the game right now. He's not a giant dude. You know, he he could very easily be a second rower. Yeah. Um, and our biggest player really is Kikau. And, you know, Kikau's playing so far out wide at the moment. that, And he's not playing that many minutes lately either, which I think is a has been an adjustment by Ivan Cleary. Um, and he's almost like he's on the verge of being used as a strike player where you could see where he could start off the bench and come in after 25 minutes and, you know, play 15 minutes. You know, we're mm. getting to that point where the biggest players in the game are, are going to be moved out for these second rollers, and it's just such a boring, horrible style. It is, because it, it's know? low percentage football now. It's all about, because of the set restarts, it's all about... All you have to do is complete your sets. Mm-hmm. And if you can get a you know, a penalty or a set restart from the opposition trying to slow the play down, which is happening a lot, or just a basic, you know, dropout, then you can just build momentum, maintain possession, and just you don't even have to try and score tries. You just need to try and make sure you maintain possession and you will wear your opponent down and put two or three tries on in quick succession piece of piss and then that's basically going to be enough yeah and you know the other thing is too like in, in the past if you got two or three sets of six on the line and you didn't score uh you were you you were usually in trouble yourself mm. because the other team would get something out of that now you're seeing teams get you know six again six again six again they're marching down the field they get that a couple of times in you know just in a half the opposition's busted. Like, they're just trying to survive at that point. That's right. And it's just, you know, that's what's contributing to blowouts as well, that, you know, you get a good 10 minutes of six again calls going your way, and you've won the game. Even if you haven't put the points on the board yet, your your opposition is going to be absolutely stuffed in the second half. And, you know, that's another thing Penrith does very well, and you know, one of the things I looked at this week really closely was the referees. And the first thing is, and I know I speak for you when I say this, this isn't the referees' fault. We're not bagging the referees one bit. Um, and I didn't see anybody bagging the referees on Twitter when they were complaining about what Thankfully, was going on. Thankfully, yes. Cool. Yeah. But you look at what the referees have to do during a game. Like, there was one game I watched... And the poor referee was having to deal with the bunker upstairs and he was having to deal with what was happening on the field. 
is having to deal with his touch judges. He's having to watch the game. He's having to run around with the players at the same time. And, and there's just too much for these guys to be doing. And, you know, we worked that out about eight years ago. And we said, you know what? Rugby league's got too fast for one referee to be able to cover properly. We need two on the field. And guess what? It fixed a lot of problems. Yep. It fixed a hell of a lot of problems. And then we come out of COVID and all of a sudden, one of the referees goes. And we're not really told any reason why. They just go. And once again, we end up with problems with, you know, play the balls are almost as bad as they've ever been. I've seen players playing the ball towards the sideline more times yeah, this year mess. than they they're, ever have. And not square anymore. No. Not even close. And I, I even saw a fair few on, on the weekend. They didn't, didn't even, they weren't even on the mark. No. They wander all over the place trying to get to the side of the marker. And that way they try and catch the marker offside to get a set restart. That's a fucking classic move, that one. And the poor referees, like, they're trying. They're really trying. Yeah. But you could see a couple of times on the weekend where, because of the rule set, they had had to send a couple of players from the field. They, you know, put a bunch of players on report. One team's getting flogged, you know, and they they play the ball off the mark. And you could see the referees like, what am I going to do at this point? Pull them up and get them to play a metre or two back, and they just let it go. Because, you know, it's not the referee's job to flog these teams either no i mean i i can take on a, a walk down memory lane just a few years ago mm-hmm. the end of <clears throat> excuse me to the end of uh, i think it was the end of march march 30 in 2018 when the sharks played melbourne and you know all season up to this point in 2018 the referees I and mean, this is when we had two referee system um they decided they were going to crack down on ruck infringements and play the balls and so there were a lot of penalties being called in games. And in this one particular game between Melbourne and the Sharks, there were 34 penalties called. And it's also known for a game where Luke Lewis and Cameron Smith were both sent to the sin bin. Mm-hmm. Now, the reason why there was 34 penalties called is because in 2018, Melbourne and the Sharks were the two biggest offenders when it came to slowing down the ruck and wrestling in the ruck. And so obviously when they were going to come and meet each other, it was going to be a penalty bonanza. And that's what happened. And from, during that game, we had Phil Rothfield tweet out, um, the game, this game is shit now. And we had Phil Gould the week before and just after this game saying that the, the penalty blitz had gone too far and that referees should, and I quote, only call the obvious ones. Um, and so Doug Greenberg was in a situation where he had on one side, a path that said, stay the course. You know, what the referees are doing is going to be good for the game in the long term. Or be a bureaucratic politician and a reactive coward and kowtow to these whinging morons in the media. And he took that path. And that was the point of no return because that meant that the media now control what was going to happen to the game, mm-hmm. not the game itself. And so what we got was, you know, penalties were only being called occasionally. We had grey area coming to the game everywhere. Then we had the media calling for Greenberg to get in the ass. A year later that happened. We had the same media just 
flogging this horse about how great it would be to have Peter Volandis running the game. They got their wish. They sat there and they pump up his tyres every fucking chance they get. So Volandis, being the spineless thing that he is, he does everything that the media wants because he likes the good PR. Obviously, because he wasn't getting many from, you know, his time in racing recently. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, remember when they were trying to push him into the role and they were saying, have a look at the great job he's done with racing New South Wales. And it's like, yeah, not you know what? Not every industry is built on compulsive gamblers. No, it's not. And, it's you know, also... and, and not just a little bit, entirely. Yeah. Plus, there's an awful lot of... Um mistreatment of animals in the racing industry that's you know going on under his watch and i'm not saying that he's aware of it but you know it's his job to make sure that sort of shit isn't taking place um and so the fact that that abuse is going on it's kind of intriguing how there's now you know essentially a some form of abuse of players going on and the fact that they're being whipped like <laughs> whipped like fucking horses well it, it's weird because like this week, he had a defamation case against the ABC thrown out of court. He yes. lost it. And I, I don't want to say too much about it, but I would say go and look it up and go and look up what the judge said because it's pretty damning. And when you read what the judge said, and I'm not even going to tell you what the judge said, you can find out for yourself. And you think about it in the context of what we're seeing right now, it's it's just interesting. I'll put it that way. Yeah. It's all all about confirming what we've what we know of him in the rugby league world, and that is he's not that great an administrator as a lot of the media like to think he is. Um so the media are a big reason as to why the game is the way it is now. As we know. The media have been hating on referees for a long time, a mm-hmm. long time. And they took that one major blunder in the 2019 grand final as justification that the two referee system is completely shithouse. And they pushed that wagon hard, hard enough for Volantis to, uh, you know, completely scrap them two, week, two seasons or two rounds into the next year. Took, you know, took the COVID break as an excuse to do it. Oh, we want to save cost, blah, 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 blah. That was a load of wank because he scrapped the touch dodgers who weren't being paid much at all and put referees on the sideline, apparently. Yeah. So instead and... of having two referees in the middle, he mm-hmm. now had three referees in the game. So how is that saving money? And he completely destroyed what was a very good system for mm-hmm. blooding new referees into the game at the highest level and it not be a, this spotlight on them out of nowhere where, you know, your first game is televised and you're in charge and you've got no backup. Now you could have a brand new referee start off as a pocket referee, you know, and it was a really, really good system. Yep. And it was one that we brought in because it worked, because we needed that change. And to get rid of it, you know, you just, you can get rid of it, and you just look at a game from when we had it, and now what when we don't have it, and the game is a mess. The yeah, play, the rules are decision. terrible. Players are offside. It it really has been a moronic decision, and it just needs to be reversed. Yeah, we actually need to get someone 
in control of the game who will not bow down to the pressures of the media and their bullshit opinions because what we've got right now is a game that the media wanted because Volandis does everything the media wants him to do. So this is the bullshit they wanted. And if you don't like it, it's the media that you read that is largely to blame for it. Mm-hmm. So it's high time we got someone running this game who doesn't listen to that bullshit. And if anything else, if the media hates the next person coming along, that's the first good bit of news. Yes. Get them in there and say, right, we're going to start rolling on these rules. Let's roll every rule back to what we had in 2018 and work back towards where we should be. Yes. You know, the only rule that's worth considering since 2018 is the 18th substitute. And I'm only saying considering. Everything else needs to be completely scrapped. Go back to 2018 and just say to the referees, okay, these are our problem areas. As you're the on-field officials, that's now your job. You tell us how you're going to combat and how you're going to fix that up. We're going to back you. And so anyone whinges in the media about the referees calling too many penalties, this, the game can just come out and say, fuck off. What we're doing is fixing the game. If you don't like it, we've seen what your type of game is. It was shit. So yeah. you shut up and you just let us fix this as we see fit. And they will do it because that's the referee's job. So that was the point. Greenberg did one great thing and followed up with the worst thing possible. He gave the referees that responsibility and they were doing the right thing. Mm-hmm. And then and then he shit on them and took it away from them. And ever since then, the refs have been undermined. We now have this stupid refs challenge system, which isn't even being used anymore you know, to challenge referees' decisions half the time. Half the time it is being used by teams, surprise, surprise, to have a rest. Yeah. Let's just review something stupid, not because we think we're going to get some advantage out of it, but because we're fucking tired and we want to rest. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, know, something else to think about too is all of these things are being dressed up under the guise of we're trying to lower concussion rates. Yeah. One of the things that is a problem in rugby league is that you can get knocked out cold in a game and you get named the next week. And I don't think anybody sees that happen and says, oh, yeah, that's fine. I think most people are, you know, a bit horrified by it when they see somebody turned off Mm -hmm. or struggling to get off the field and they fail their HIA and then the next week they're fine. Like, if you want to really treat concussions in rugby league seriously, that is the very first area that you fix things up with where you're going to say, you know what, I... I've I've looked at what's happening with these players getting concussions and failing HIAs, and I don't think that their brains have healed themselves within a week. I, and I would start bringing in, you know, whether it's scans during the week, whether it is a mandatory stand-down period if you fail your HIA, whether it is... I, I mean, I don't know if you can do a HIA on the day and then there's got to be some sort of follow-up examinations and tests that you can do during the following That's... weeks that can prove that you've healed to a certain extent from your concussion. But backing up the next week, that is the real problem with the game at the moment. 
not so much the high tackles because you don't really see that many high tackles no. when the game is played under normal rules where you know you you have the you don't have this six again call you have two referees on the field you have to play the ball right which might make the play the ball half a second slower but it's a half a second that's really important that's right. It allows defences to get a little bit more set, and it stops the blowouts. Mm-hmm. It makes games competitive, and it means that when you've got competitive games, it means you've got more fans invested in the game. Yep. So at the moment, we've only got five teams with a positive points differential, which means there's 11 teams that are pretty much looking at it going, you know, we're a good chance of getting beat every week and by a sizable margin. Yeah. Who wants that? Who wants that? That's that's not good for football. It's not good for viewers. It's not good for anybody. And yeah, here we are. It's uh, it's well, there. There are plenty of teams right now. This season's over. This oh, season's completely over. Yeah, you know, for most of those eleven teams, their season is over. I'd, I'd almost go that for eleven of those teams, it's over because how many teams outside of those top five? are genuine contenders for the title. Oh, you know, I, I've said, I said from the start of the season, I think there's three real contenders. One of those contenders had 50 points put on them the other week. Mm-hmm. And that is traditionally meant you're done. You're yep. not going to win the, so that means that we would really only have two contenders and that's bad for the game. That's terrible. Yeah. After 10 rounds. Yeah. And so if outside of, Penrith, Parramatta, Melbourne, South, and the Roosters, they're the only teams that have got a better than 50% win record at the moment now after 10 games. And they're the only teams with a positive points differential. Who outside of those five teams is a chance of making the grand final? Ah, none. 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 So basically, we just got a top five system now. Yeah. Back in the good old days when we had a top five. (laughs) Ah. It's it's, it's it's insane it how really quickly is. one person is able to take a game that was in a very good spot and ruin it so quickly with a bunch of changes no one wanted or demanded and that the game never needed. The no. game was faster than it's ever been. Why do you need it to be faster? And the thing, too, is that, you know, rugby league... One of the one of the things rugby league had that was really cool is it had a structure, mm. and it's it's funny because sometimes you would hear rugby union people saying, "Oh, it's five tackles and a kick," and it's like, "Yes, that's a structure of a sport right there," and you've nailed it. You've nailed one of the reasons why rugby league's really good. It's really easy to explain to somebody, and you know now what we have. I mean, try explaining rugby league now to a neutral observer. You know, you'd, you'd sit there and they'd say, well, why can I hear a tram bell going off? And you'd say, well, that means they get six tackles again. And they'd be like, well, why did they get that? And it's like, oh, it could be because someone's offside. It could be because the play of the ball was too slow. It could be because, the, you know, the two players standing in front of the player that's playing it weren't directly lined up for it, you know. And then it's like somebody scores a try and they stop everything and they say, well, we're going back up the field 40 metres and about 27 passes back because a player, you know, 
palmed off someone and his arm went into another player's neck. So we're going to say that was dangerous and so we're going to take points off the board. And it's just such a mess. It's not fun to watch. Rugby League is the greatest sport to watch in the world. And I'm watching it now and it's just horrible. It's it's becoming a chore. It really is. Like, you know, on uh, Sunday morning, I got up and I played some NBA 2K, played one game of it. And I looked and it was getting towards the time for the footy to start. And I was like, man, I should just keep playing. You know, I know this game is just going to be crap. And I, I turned I the game the, on. I turned it on and I watched it and it was crap. I went to the circus with my family. I bet you enjoyed it. I did. It was very, very, very uh, exciting. Mm-hmm. You know what they had to make it exciting? What? They had stoppages. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah, between between every act. They didn't just make all the acts flow together and just have one full barrage of entertainment. <laughs> there was a pause between each piece. You know why the it's fantastic. Is, you know why the circus works? Because the clowns don't set it up. That's ah <laughs> oh, perfect. That's exactly right. The clowns don't run the show; they're part of the show. Exactly. I uh, I'm I'm a, it it really hurts me because I love rugby league, and to now watch it and not enjoy it because it's just so messy and, like, you know, we're watching... I feel like a quarter of the game is watching a bunch of people in the bunker trying to work out why they should not give a try, you know? And we saw referees this weekend. Like, I'm sure there was a couple of occasions where the referees said something along the lines of, you you were being too rough, or, like, there was one where the St. George player got sent off and look, he hip Pappenhausen high, but his arms were down by his side when he went up on Pappenhausen. Whether he was late or not, I only saw it in slow motion. I can't tell you because I I didn't see it in full speed and that's what you've really got to look at it in to see if a player was hit late or not. But Pappenhausen ended up in a pretty bad way and that wasn't nice to see. But it's not like the play that hit him had a swinging arm or anything. His arms were pretty much down by his side. And the referee said, you come up, you come up in an aggressive manner. And it's like, yeah, it's, you know, am I supposed to come up to him in a soft manner? Yeah. I'm going to come up and make a passive tackle. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. You know, it's... this guy is running around everyone and I, I went out to tackle him. I, I, I literally went out to tackle him, ref. I'm sorry about that. Yeah. And look, I don't want to see players get injured. Nobody does. You don't want to see anyone get hit in the head at all. Ever. Think, ever, ever, ever. I think but, I referred to one, one tackle. Instead of it being a crusher, I think I referred to it as a cuddler. And <laughs> someone saw, got penalised. I saw a player ruffle, barely ruffle Cody Walker's hair. He wouldn't have had to have combed it back into place and there was a penalty. Mm. It's... And again, this is not a, an attack on the referees. This is a directive that's been issued to them. And so yes. it's just yet another stupid fucking thing that referees have to deal with. And they're the ones who cop the... Well, and this I tell you what, this has been the only, the only good thing about this weekend. Mm-hmm. And 
I say, and I don't say that as though it's something that's massively positive. Because, you know, I've been, well, we both have been critical of Peter Volandis from the get-go. Yeah. To finally see people turning on him and blaming him for what's happened and not the referees. It's almost one of those moments where you go, thank you, people, for finally realising yeah. that it's not the referees that are at fault. Yes, referees make mistakes. They're humans. Human error happens. Why are we trying to seek perfection out of referees but not out of anybody else? That is ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Finally, people are starting to realise that we can't be sitting there blaming referees all the time. These rule changes are the biggest problem. We've had players coming out this week criticising the rules. Yeah. How, how long is this... Is this bloke going to sit there and ignore not just the fans, but now the players as well about his stupid rule changes and the impact they're having on not just the games, on the health and well-being of these humans? Because that gets forgotten. They're not just players. You know, Boyd Cordner is a is a man. He's a human. He's someone's son. Mm-hmm. You know, and he's sitting there trying to figure out whether. He should retire. He's he's only just he's only just thirty, thirty one, something like that. And you know and the thing is, Andrew, the these people that are backing these silly, poorly thought out rule changes are turning around and saying, Oh, what don't you care about players' welfare? But Boyd Cordner is one of ours, you know? Luke Here is one of ours. These these players that are being hurt and injured under this terrible system where they're being ran into the ground, they're, they're, they're fucking our people, you know? Yeah. Anybody that tries to say that that we don't care about players, that we don't care about their welfare, they couldn't be further from the truth. No. You know? Look, look at the outpouring of support that people like Rob Burrow over in England got. Not just in England, but everywhere. Yeah. And you look at, you know, Carl Webb. He was, uh, you know, at the footy a week or two ago. Yeah, last week at the, I think it was the... The, the Cowboys, Cowboys game. game. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's... We, we care about these people. Because we see them as more than just, you know, superheroes for us on the football field when they're wearing their team's jumper. But we also realise that once their footballing days are over... They're one of us again. You know, they don't they don't just stay superheroes forever. They they have they become one of us again and at a young age. I think this is you know, I think administrators forget this sometimes, is that a lot of these guys retire and they're still in their thirties. Yeah, and like I heard Peter Valandi saying uh we, you know, these players they they retire and we forget about them and, you know, do you want them to live a nice full life and, and that sort of thing? And it's like, you're so far off the mark. You know, the, the whole point of what these players do that's special is the fact that they retire and they're, they're, they're normal people. And when you meet one, and it's really weird, when you meet an old first grade player, and it's just some bloke. But 
you know that he has done things in his life that you look up to on the field and you've seen him do magical things in in the biggest sporting moments that you've ever seen. And here he is just standing in front of you and he's just a bloke. And that's what makes it special. You know, it, it doesn't make it special because they're all supermen. You know, it doesn't make it special because they've all landed from Krypton. It, it's because they grow up with this. They go to school with this. They live amongst us. And then they go out in a football field and they produce some of the most ridiculous, incredible moments that you could see on a sporting field. And then they go back home and they live in Glenmore Park. You know? Yeah. It's crazy. It's absolutely crazy. And it's one of the big differences between rugby league and a lot of the very, very elite sports where, you know, players, uh, uh, they kind of, they don't mingle with the fans. They don't live in the same areas as fans. And, you know, you only see them on the, the sporting field or on the court or something like that. Mm. Rugby league has never been like that. It's no. been a, a It's been a game by the fans, for the fans. And, you know, so to suggest that people don't care about players' physical and and mental health, and I I just think that it's it's a gross justification of a poor rule set that this administration brought in, didn't think through very well, and now they're, you know, they're trying to bar water on the Titanic. Well, they're trying to palm it off as, as though they care, and they're... They're trying to say that we don't care because we criticise them for what they've done. Mm-hmm. And they've just, they're so out of touch and so completely missed the point. And as I said before, it's its not about the fact that they're cracking down on high tackles. No one's really complaining about that. What they're complaining about is that's not the solution to the problem. Yeah. Well, high tackles was never the problem. That hasn't been a problem for fucking donkey's years. Well, I'll say this to you, Andrew, right? If we really have a problem with head-high tackles and concussions in rugby league, if I said to you, we triple the amount of time you've got to spend on the sideline if you hit someone in the head in a bad head-high tackle, and if you get a concussion and you don't pass your HIA, you've got to spend three weeks on the sideline, would you blow up about that? No. Yeah, I couldn't blow up about that either. I'd be like, you know what? It's a lot of time that these players are going to have to sit down on the sideline for either doing the offence of hitting someone in the head or having it occur to them where they've had a a shot to the head and they've been concussed. But if if it helps the players, that's the main thing. Yeah. Exactly, and I think yeah. the problem what we have is that this current rule set does not help the players. It actually makes it more likely that they're going to get hurt. Yeah, and by having this more aggressive stance on incidental head knocks, which is what's now happening, um, you're now making other players get more fatigued more quickly because there's more, you know, more chance that one, maybe two people per game are going to get sin binned. Mm-hmm. 
again, that, that doesn't help. That makes the situation worse. And it, it angers me that these people who claim to, you know, love the game and are running the game seem to think, seem to, seem to not think or realize that that's not going to be the case. Mm. I, how have we got into this situation? How do we get out of it? This is the problem is rugby league fans are powerless to this. Yeah, and it seems as though the clubs are also powerless, which is a weird situation. And that's, well, um, that's because the IRLC is separate from all of them. Mm-hmm. They're a power unto, unto themselves, and they hire themselves. Yeah. It's high time, the IRLC, instead of, you know, I, I'm fine with them being independent from the clubs and from the NRL itself, but how's about the fans... Maybe it could just be, you know, paid up club members get to vote on who's in the RLC. You know, they've it feels like it's been settled for a long time and it might be time to bring in some new faces. Um but they I mean that current ARLC they need to step in and say, Look, this this is not right. We've got too many shareholders in the game that have said that they're not happy with where the game is going. And, you know, I would hope that the International Rugby League steps in as well and says, hang on, we, you know, we've got a set of rules in rugby league and you've got to abide by them. Otherwise, it's not rugby league anymore. Well, they're, they're starting to yield to what their NRL's got. Yeah. They're looking at scrapping the penalty, uh, the scrums now. Yeah, it's ridiculous. They're, they're now looking at set restarts. I mean, think of these emerging nations and how much they are struggling to keep up with the next tier up of teams just on the, what the rules were two years ago. Oh. How much are they going to get decimated now? With well, I mean, we're seeing in the NRL now the difference between the good teams and the bad teams when it comes to possession. You think of what it's going to be like for these emerging nations. They I mean, don't we, could, we could be seeing score lines, which could be, you know, 100-odd nil. And that's yeah. that's not even exaggerating. We've already had scorelines that go into eighty nils and stuff like that on a fairly regular sort of basis in the last you know fifteen years. Mm-hmm. Hundred nil is now going to be right in the realm. And is that what you want on the international stage to promote your game? No. And as you and me have talked about, you know, under this current set of rules, you can't. There is one way to play. You know, you've got to just get the momentum get the sets of six and, you know, just destroy the other team in terms of their physical ability to continue to compete in the game. Hmm. Uh, you can't just kick for touch and, and slow the game down. You can't gain momentum by doing something like that because, you know, it's just go, 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 go and stuff everything else, you know? Yes. Yeah. And it's not fun to watch. It's, it's just not, not fun to watch. And it's also next to impossible to get your defence to get your team back into a game. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because we had a game where it was 50-50 between attack and defence, and now the pendulum has swung all the way in favour of attack. Yeah. It's kind of like, and I think I may have mentioned this in the last episode, it's kind of like when cricket decided that it wanted to have T20 
and T20 is all about favouring the batsman and scoring runs. And the bowlers, which are essentially your defence, you know, if you've got a good bowling lineup and they're very good at what they do, they can try the runs up and keep the score down. That's your defence mechanism. Mm-hmm. Now, they've got no chance because they bring the borders in, you know, there's field restrictions, you can't bowl down leg side, that sort of stuff. And so you've got a very small window and a very small area where you can bowl. And because batsmen can just swing hard and get a top edge and it goes for six, you can't even you can't even get rewarded for good bowling anymore, but you can get punished to the maximum degree mm-hmm. if the opposition has a fluke. Yeah. But you can't have a fluke in defence. It's just you you can't you can't swing one way or the other. If you swing too far towards defence, then you've got a boring game where the scores are low and you know Low score, consistent low scoring games where there's no points being scored eventually get boring as well. But you can't have high scoring games either because if points are being scored too easily, then there's no excitement when they happen because he's just going, oh, we'll just get one at the other end. You know, if, if soccer had score lines of 32 to 21, scoring a goal would mean fucking nothing. Mm-hmm. That's why yep. people get so excited when it's like 1 0, 2 0. It takes a while to get that goal. But if it, if you made it harder to score goals and, you know, 80% of games were a nil or draw, then that's too far in that direction. You know, you've got to get that balance right. And we had it right. And now we've gone way too far the other way towards attack. And we've got this administration that is just completely oblivious to what they've done to the game and unwilling to roll back rules. And... We need to start rolling back rules very quickly. 100%. 100%. Because when it comes down to a good defense is defense that is sound in terms of your technique. And that's not a bad thing. And I I think you can see a lot of that at the moment with the Panthers that, you know, they don't get as many penalties as other teams. They don't hit as many penalties players in in illegal tackles as other teams because their defense is really really sound but that is the most extreme case like we've talked about it one of the best defensive teams of all time at the moment that and they're really outliers in this whole nrl if you took the panthers out of it and it was from you know the paramedic eels down you would say man everyone's playing you know, even the Eels, like you look at the Eels playing, they're not playing great football. And I don't blame the Eels. I blame this rule set because it's just turned everything into a scrappy, horrible mess. And everyone's just trying to do their best in it, you know? Well, that's right. And, you know, now we've got this system, though, where point scoring is too easy. Yeah, in the past we've had moments where we've had either rule changes, and I'm talking significant ones, so the limited tackle rule in the 60s, uh, four-point tries in the early 80s, the 10-metre rule in the early 90s. Those things, we saw an immediate blip for one or two seasons where point scoring went up pretty quick, and then it sort of came back to where it was prior to the rule change because everyone adapted pretty quickly to the rule. Yeah. Um. The only other times we've seen point scoring go stupid was when new teams came into the comp. Mm-hmm. 
we're in a situation now where no new teams are coming to the comp for quite a while. And the point scoring and the gap in margins is growing rapidly. So it is only due to rule changes because that's all that's happened. That's changed the way the game's played. Yeah. The competition now is in a situation where they have to figure out whether do we wait for to see if it plateaus again and everyone gets to the same level or do we modify the rules further? And what we're seeing from this administration is let's keep modifying rules. Yeah. And if you keep modifying the rules, you will not get the plateau where everyone gets to the same level and we start getting consistency again. You just keep getting this increasing gap between the haves and the have-nots. And that's not good. No, it's terrible. It's terrible. I mean, you know, you look at the draw for some of the top sides and you can literally say, oh, yeah, they'll win their next. They really should win their next six or seven games. And then they play at one of the few good teams. And then they should win every game until the finals. Like, there's a lot of teams like that in the NRL at the moment. Um, I mean, I, I think you could probably start the finals right now and you were, you'd you end up with the premiers. You're going to end up within a few months from now. I, I don't think that, you know, and I wonder where you look at with all of these injuries and stuff we're having right now, we've got more than, we're not even at halfway. No. We're not even really close to halfway in the season. We've still got the origin season to go through as well. Mm-hmm. Where are we where are we all going to be in September? Yeah, it's a good question. That's the thing. September is only when round twenty five ends. <laughs> yeah, it's like, and then you know we've got a World Cup at the end of all of this. Mm. Player welfare? Are they serious? It's it's obscene. And they're doing all of this while they're putting restrictions on who you can call up and who's in the bubble and who isn't. Oh, man, it's such a mess. I can't believe the state that the game's in at the moment. And it's self-inflicted. Yeah, it, it's all self-inflicted. That's the problem. Um, you know, I was just looking right now on Penrith and who they've got coming up. Mm-hmm. South this weekend. Mm-hmm. That should be a good game. Should be like, and that's the thing. You you kind of think to yourself, well, in theory, that's going to be a really, really good match. Mm. Do you like? I'm not really pumped about it. I'm not sure what's going to happen that one, but yeah. what's going to happen in the three weeks after that? Because they play the last place Bulldogs, mm-hmm. the near last place West Tigers, mm-hmm. and then the worst team right now form wise, Cronulla. Yeah. Three weeks in a row. And, and they should just... I mean, They'll walk through those. Chance, yeah. And so that means there's three clubs right there whose seasons are over. They, they are done. There's no doubt about it. Yeah. And it's not even halfway through the year. And that's three clubs you can already write off. Yeah. And, like, I, it, that's the cool thing about where the Panthers are. It's not like... You, you like anything I'm saying, people can say, oh, yeah, but your team's going crap, and that's why you're saying you don't like it. My team is literally going as perfect as any team could at this point in the year, 
and I'm watching the football and I'm like, ugh, this is not good. I think I've, I think I looked into it. This their defense after nine rounds was the best we've seen since the Dragons in nineteen sixty three mm. for points conceded. They are the only post war team to have conceded sixty points or less after the first nine games of the year. It's great. Their their defense. I was watching it on the weekend, and look, they're playing the Titans team who. Once again, they just strangled them to death. And I'm watching their defensive technique and I'm watching the way they go into tackles. And then they get the ball and they've got so many different so many different looks that they give. I mean, you get someone like To'o who runs the ball like back like a bull. You've got someone like Isaiah who in the middle of the field, he's just got really nice footwork. He's got a little bit of ball playing ability then you've got someone like a kick out who's just this giant then you've got nathan cleary who i think it's fair to say this year isn't just a good ball running halfback i think he might just be a good ball runner in general and you've just got all of these different looks that they have and they're they're a little bit of a special club it's kind of weird to watch them and think, wow, this is my team. I had a few people message me this week and say, you know, this must be a bit crazy for you. And it really is. But I look at it in the context of the overall season, and this is a bad season for rugby league. This is a really, really bad season for rugby league. And the fact that the Panthers are doing what they're doing defensively in a season where defense is just out the window for most teams is, is kind of crazy. Yeah, it's it's really disappointing what's happened because Penrith Penrith deserve to be um, praised for the way they're playing the game right now. Mm. It's hard to give anyone praise given the way these rules are at the moment. I'm not saying the rules favour Penrith; that's nonsense. But I'm just saying that it's it's hard to give anyone praise because if you're a good team, you are just going to dominate. Yeah, seventy yeah, percent of the competition, and there's, yeah, the only close contests you're going to get are amongst the worst teams in the comp, and yeah, it's only going to be a contest because they're so poor at maintaining possession. You will actually get a fifty-fifty possession in those games, and so they'll be just by proxy. They'll just be close because of how poor they are, mm-hmm. not because of how good they are. You know, and so that's that's a horrible situation to be in. It really is. It really is. And, you know, I, I really do. I think you could start the finals tomorrow when we're going get, to get the same result. I don't see too much unfolding unless we just see, <coughs> excuse me, the top teams completely decimated by injury. And it just... Well, I, mean, even, I mean, even that's not having much impact on the Roosters, is it? Well, th- yeah, that's true. And, and so this is the thing. I I think the what storm, we should, like the storm, yeah. have had a few injuries and they're still trotting along. Yeah, I think I think what we should do is just give the premiership to Penrith right now, and then spend the next nine months playing games every week where we modify the rules until we get them right for the next season. <laughs> Simple as that. And you know, waging a coup to get rid of Peter Valandis. Yeah, 
A, well, a, I'm, yeah, I'm, all, peaceful, I'm all up for that. That'd be peaceful great. Peaceful coup. A peaceful coup. Peaceful coup, you know. A, 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 a polite coup. A passive coup, just like the tattles. It'll be a passive yeah. coup. We don't want it to be an aggressive coup. Ooh, it's got to be like a... We don't want anyone suspended. Yeah, yeah, true, true. Yeah, we'll just have a passive coup. <laughs> oh, I'm just... I'm like... Are you looking forward to the footy on the weekend? You know what? This is the funny thing, and my, my wife's um, been intrigued by it too. She'll mm-hmm. ask me random questions like, oh, who's, who's this team playing this weekend? And my answer to it every time in the past was, bang, that's who they're playing. I know. Yeah. yeah. And this year, I'm like, no, no, no. And yeah, and I'm, I think... I'm going to go to the NRL app and look on there and go, oh, yeah, they're playing this team. And it's because there's so many games that are of no consequence at the moment. It's. I haven't watched so few NRL games in a season before. Yeah. Just losing interest. And I'll tell you what, I'm starting to actually get to a point where I've watched more Super League games in England than I have NRL games. Oh, really? Only because they haven't fucked around with their rules, so I'm getting more of a competition over there. <laughs> I've had, I had English people messaging me this week on Twitter saying, like, what the hell happened? What? Why are the scorelines so lopsided all of a sudden? Why are they I've so had British? to say it's because that we stuffed it with the rules for no reason. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. Oh, yeah, dear. It yeah. sucks. It really sucks. Like, I could pick, I could pick easy 12 teams in the NRL right now, any combination of those 12 teams, and say, does this game really mean, do you think this game will mean anything this year? And you, you'd have to say no. Yeah, no. Like, is, is, does Manly versus the Warriors, is that going to have any effect on who wins the premiership, really? Nope. Yeah, exactly. That's and I've not got nothing against those clubs. It's just the way that the things are right now, you know, it's horrible. It's so horrible. I wish it was so different. I hate seeing this happen to a sport I love so much. Yeah. Well, yeah. We can try and finish it on a high note if you want. Okay. Um, did you see Andrew Fafita's hairstyle on the weekend? <laughs> I did. I did see an interesting comment by someone saying, he looks like the Aldi version of Kick Out. <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> Do you know, did you see him getting upset about John Morris? Yeah. Yeah, where he's saying... I think he's completely taken that comment by John Morris completely the wrong way. Well, like if John Morris comes up to you and says, you know what, mate, maybe you should retire. Okay. That's the kindest thing he can possibly say to you. It's way better that he says that than gives you the constructive criticism that you want, which is you're old, you're fat, you're injury prone. We don't want you anymore. That's the constructive criticism <laughs> he wanted, apparently. See, I think John Morris said that to him as a way to fire him up because he'd been playing a bit, you know, passive. <laughs> I'm going to use that as a term. And so he I think he's the most miss- valuable player. You know who's the most valuable player in the game? Aaron Woods. <laughs> <laughs> he's never he's never gone into a tackle aggressively. No. 
He's passive as passive can be. But He's I reckon, the most passive player I've ever seen. I reckon John Morris has gone up to Andrew Fafita to try and fire him up and try and get him pumped for the season. He's gone up to him and says, mate, I, th- I think you're done. Mm. And it's his way of saying, prove me wrong. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't realise how important those words were by John Morris because Fafita went and lost a heap of weight. Yeah. And he's got himself back into first grade. And he should be sitting there going, yeah, maybe maybe Morris did that to me to sort of get that spark going again and make me focus a bit more on, you know, earning my spot and keeping it, getting myself in good shape and being a lot fitter and getting back to what I used to be. Because mm-hmm. that's exactly what he's done. Because yeah. Morris is a smart coach and Sharks are fucking idiots for sacking him. Sometimes what a player doesn't want to, doesn't want to hear is exactly what they need to hear. Exactly right. And you some know. some players need to be cuddled and some need to be kicked in the ass. Mm-hmm. I remember yeah. I remember Wally Lewis. Um, talking about when Wayne Bennett basically tapped him on the shoulder when he was at Brisbane, and he said it really, it really made him angry, and he thought he was completely wrong, and he wanted to prove he was completely wrong, and he said, but he was completely right. He was absolutely one hundred percent right. I was done. Yeah, Bennett you proved know. it because he put Kevin Walters in there, and they went to a premiership in '92, just two years later. Yep, yep, and. You, look, you just have to look at the way that the Sharks have gone since they, they got rid of Morris. It's incredible. I don't well, think I've I've ever seen a team just, it was like a switch turned off on them. Yeah, and, and it's because so many of those young guys came through because of Morris. Yeah, yeah. And, like, the more I think about it, I would be shocked if Morris doesn't end up coaching the Melbourne Storm. I don't know. He'd be the sort of coach that someone like the West Tigers could use to help set up some pathways to get the juniors into the top grade because, let's be honest, the Sharks have never really been known as a team that's prominent at bringing juniors through. Mm-hmm. They'd been a team for a long time, especially under Flanagan, for buying all of the talent they have there. Yeah. Very few juniors came through. Then, bang, all of a sudden Morris is in charge and what the hell? There's all these young blokes coming in who have been playing you know, in the lower grades for Cronulla. They may not be from Cronulla, but the fact is they've been playing in the lower grades at the Sharks, so they, they do classify to some extent as Sharks juniors. Mm-hmm. And they're actually coming through the ranks at the club and getting into first grade at the club in volumes like we haven't seen in a long time there, probably yeah. since the, the, uh, the mid-90s when they had that great reserve grade and, and res- uh, third grade teams that they had. And it was just you know too hard to ignore those players. Yeah, the likes of uh, Nathan Long, Russell Matt, Richardson, Matt Rogers. They all just come through it. It's mm. it's one of the great uh, like bursts of local talent. The the local juniors that come through at once. Yeah, so yeah, Morris did that, and the great thing about bringing in you know young talent through your lower grades is that they want to be there and they want to get into that top position, which means when they do get there. You don't have to spend as much to keep them in the side because mm-hmm. they want to be there. And so yeah. you're saving money on your salary cap. It's all genius. It's all fucking obvious. That's what the smart clubs do. And the Sharks got rid of that. 
And now you've got a whole bunch of young blokes who came through because they wanted to play with Morris. And now Morris isn't there. And a lot of these young blokes are off contract. The Sharks are now at a very strong risk of losing some of these very talented juniors. And for what? To get a coach who they think might be good? Yeah, and like we've seen, you can be the best assistant coach in the world. It doesn't mean you're going to be a great, you know, first grade coach. And I look at, uh, I mean, Craig Fitzgibbon, all of the same noises were made of Adam O'Brien in Newcastle. And Adam O'Brien had a very good first year, but at the moment it is really look, yeah, it's really looking bad. And it, it looks like they really do look like a club that don't have answers. And, you know, you just don't know. You don't know how these guys are going to go until they get that position because it is a different beast. It's a completely different beast being a first-grade head coach. It is. And you think John Morris and Jeff Tuvey, the only two coaches that were assistants who got thrown into a head coaching role, like on the spot with very little notice because, you know, for Tuvey, Hasler walked to another job. And for the Sharks, Flanagan finally got arsehole. Mm-hmm. And yet, they were, they were put in a situation where they had to sink or swim. And they both swam strongly. Yeah. And both of them got fucked over by their club after they saved their asses. Yeah, it's strange, Shane. Eh? It's horrible. Yeah. And yet, they were going to hire these other coaches. It makes me wonder whether, certain, like, if you're if you're the power broker at a club and it changes sometimes, sometimes it's the CEO these days, it tends to be the chairman and and board members that are more the power brokers at clubs. Um, It makes me wonder if they like to have somebody they appointed so that the person they appointed, I don't know. They've, I don't know whether they've got more control over them or they're just more comfortable with them, whatever the case may be. Whereas if somebody kind of gets the job through a natural progression like Morris did or like a 2V did, then they don't have that same uh, base that they have with the coach that they appoint. If they feel like they've got the job because of me. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. It's... I don't know, it, it's this weird cutthroat world now with coaching ranks. I, I took a part of me doesn't get it. Mm. It's no, with the, the sharks, it's kind of like, you know, fear of missing out. They've got yeah. this great assistant coach in, in Fitzgibbon and they went, Oh, he's, he's interested. We should just sign him anyway. Mm-hmm. It's a 50, 50 gig. He's either going to be a great coach or he's not. Yeah. And I, I think that, I th- I think that sometimes clubs get caught in this dream of like, you know what? This guy is a genius coach. He just needs the opportunity and we've got the opportunity. He's gonna be the he's gonna be like Craig Bellamy, but fifty percent better. And it's like there's only ever been one Craig Bellamy, there's only ever been one Wayne Bennett. And if you've got a coach that wins even f- like fifty two percent of his games You've got a little bit of an outlier. It sounds weird, but yep. you've got somebody that, like, if he's got a career winning percentage of fifty, even and the fifty two percent's not much, but fifty two percent, you're doing really well. It's like somebody like um, Anthony Griffin. 
you know, he gets looked over because of these perceived things of like, he can only get a team to a certain point. It's like, yeah, that point's really, really good. <laughs> Why are you overlooking that point? Yeah, like, what, what what point do you want him to get to? Just winning a premiership every year? That doesn't happen. Not even Craig Bellamy does that. Yeah. That's and, his... and Craig Bellamy would be the first person to say, you know what, I come down to, here to Melbourne and I had Greg Inglis, Cameron Smith, Billy Slater, Cooper Cronk, Israel Folau, all turn up in the first couple of years. Like, I don't care how good a coach you are, that is the that is some of the luckiest shit in the world. Yep. You know, you've got to be lucky as well. And sometimes a good coach just isn't lucky. If Brian Smith had just one good halfback in his entire coaching career, he'd be a premiership winner coach. That's right. And, you know, a lot of people always look at the fact that he got close but got no cigar. They don't look at the fact that he repeatedly took on some of the toughest jobs that were out there. Mm-hmm. And his track record of taking a club and making them better than, you know, when he first got there is up there with some of the best coaches of all time. Yeah. But he's done it at more clubs than most coaches have ever done. It's 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 sad that he never got to win that premiership, but at the same time, Maybe that wasn't his goal. Like some coaches aren't in it just to win titles. Some of them like to be able to say, I made that place better. Yeah. Or I put them on the step to get to where they need to be. If you can get a coach that can do that, I mean, that's half the battle. Changing a culture, changing, you know, fortunes of a club around, that's an insane thing to do. Um, I mean, look at how many coaches the Tigers have had trying to do that with, and they still struggle doing it. Yeah, yeah, and like, I mean, Parramatta were atrocious when Brian Smith went there, and he turned them into a perennial contender. Um, you know, there are plenty of clubs. I look, I look at my own club. We we lost the grand final. Do you know how happy I was to be in a grand final? I was so happy. People keep bringing it up, like, what about the grand final? I'm like. Yeah, that was awesome. <laughs> like, it, you know, making a grand final is bloody great. Mike and the, the finals would be good, I'd imagine. Yeah. <laughs> Let me tell you, Andrew, one day when your club makes it, you'll love it. <laughs> oh, I, was, I was alive the last time they did it, but uh, I've just forgotten it. I, I was a young man back in those days. So many seasons where I'd be thinking like, you know what? we win our last four or five games in a row, we might get eighth place on for and against. You know? And so yeah. when you make a grand final, it's like, are you kidding me? I'll take this. I'll take losing a grand final every year. It is so much fun. It's not fun on grand final day, but damn, the lead up is brilliant. Yeah. Yeah, there's like 30 weeks of success behind it. Yeah. What's one loss? <laughs> yeah. Like, it's, it's a very strange thing. It's like, oh, Penrith have won 10 in a row. What about last year's grand final? It's like, what you mean one of the greatest moments my club has had making a third grand final? A fourth <laughs> grand final, sorry? Man, anyway. Like, it's, it's weird how people judge 
like success and failure. And I get it. Everyone's a loser except for the grand final winner. I'd really get that. I think it's more people just like to, um, they, they like to shit on a team that's successful at the time. Yeah. So, you know, if, if Penrith go on to get the wooden spoon next year, you probably find that people will stop caring about the fact that Penrith lost the grand final last year. They're like, eh, they're losers now. Who cares? Well, you know, one of the things I think is interesting is when Penrith won in 91, there it was like a feel-good moment, right? Yeah. And, and it, it all quickly went away after that. And then when they won in 2003, it was a feel-good moment. And it all quickly went away after that. This Panthers team, because they're they're so like they haven't come out of they've kind of come out of nowhere, but because they're like rampantly beating everyone and they're so dominant, it's a little bit different. And so the feeling isn't like this feel good, you know, oh the plucky, you know, winners they kind of against the odds. It's like all the odds are in their favour. It's also I think it's also largely because they're it's it's not a it's not just sort of a, a random season where it's just come from nowhere. Mm. I'm not saying that the you know the '91 definitely wasn't out of nowhere. They they'd made the finals the three years before it from memory. Yeah, 2003 was a bit different because they were pretty much dog shit the two years beforehand. Yeah, and then boom premiers. And then they mm-hmm. made the finals the next year, and then another what was it five years in the wilderness after that. Yeah. So that one did just come out of come out of nowhere. But last year, um, you know, it's on the back of. They, I mean, they very nearly made five finals campaigns in a row, yeah. which they've never done before. They were just clunky as fuck in twenty nineteen. <laughs> they only finished, I think, a win or two outside the top eight, so they weren't far off. And so it's it's kind of more expected that they're a good side now. Yeah. So that means that that's not a feel-good story anymore. They're going, ah, you're one of the top sides, so fuck you. And it, you know what's funny is um, the way you see people change who they think the NRL is bending the rules for. <laughs> <laughs> it's so weird. It's like, I love that. Oh, Penrith, the, the, uh, the one I heard... Oh, the NRL obviously won an all Western Sydney grand final. And I'm thinking to myself, why? Like, well, if, if that's it, the case, how come the West Tigers aren't being looked after? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Oh, hang and, on, are they, are they calling Parramatta Western now? Oh, yeah, Parramatta's Western Sydney. Right. But the, the weird thing <laughs> is, it's like if you went by what makes the most money, Basically, every season it would be Melbourne versus Brisbane in the grand final because that's the best of both worlds because it's played in Sydney, so Sydney watches it, Melbourne watches it, and Queensland watches it. Yeah. And so that's the best cash-building grand final. It's definitely not Penrith versus Parramatta. No, 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 no. I, I don't think that's true at all, no. You know... The NRL is looking after Penrith, though. I hope they continue it. <laughs> I hope it continues for many I wanna, years. To come. I want to know when the West Tigers start getting looked after. I know, right? How come every other team gets this? No one ever says the, the NRL is looking after the West Tigers, though. Yeah. Do we really have to beat the shit team all the time? They Can't did we just get. 
They did give you that loan to keep you solvent for a while, though. Yeah, fucking loan schmoan. They've given every club some loans. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, boy. It's um, nice to talk about off-field stuff because we don't have to think about the on-field product. <laughs> that's true, that's true. I just say, if, if we tra- travel down this path, we'll end up talking about Ben Elias' fucking rugby league investment ideas, and I don't want to go there. They scare me. You're not... Okay, here's the thing. I'm banning the subject of Andrew Chalmers bidding (laughs) for the second New Zealand team. I physically can't do it. We can't do it, and we cannot talk about it, all right? No, we can't. We... I mean, I know we've been loose with bad language in the past. Yeah. But I don't think we'll allow ourselves to get that loose. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> oh, man. There we go. That's enough on that matter. Yeah. It's been um, a cathartic episode. It has, it has. Um, we've, we've fleshed out a few things. Uh, yes. I, I'd just like to summarise at the end and just say, Peter Vlandis is a fucking idiot and he's trying to kill rugby league. Yes, and he can't even say the, the name of the game. No, that's right. He's an idiot. Yeah. Everyone, isn't it funny? Everyone mocked uh, Peter Beattie for not knowing shit about rugby league. But At no least... one, no one, no one's mocking Peter Vlandis for, for physically ruining rugby league. Yeah, it's a weird one, eh? Like, at least Peter Beattie did nothing to fuck it up. Like, he, he did bu- nothing, granted. He was bureaucratic enough to know that he doesn't do anything. Yeah. You just got to say nice things. Peter Beatty, a couple of uh, couple of weeks ago, was talking about why the NRL needs to expand. It's like, dude, you were the fucking ARL chairman for years. You didn't do shit. I love and... how all these people, when they're out of the job, they say, yeah, yeah, the NRL needs to expand. And it's like, well, why didn't you do it then? Exactly right. Uh, it's, it's it's funny. We've, we've now got. We've now got a, uh, a boss there at the moment who's constantly talking about expansion and yet doing nothing about making it happen. Yeah, nothing. Nothing at all. Yeah. He's talking about... He's talked about expansion. Well, he killed expansion in Perth for because they had a bad weekend. Well, because the media told him to. Yeah, and then... Oh, they've got bad crowds. How could they possibly have an NRL team? He's going, oh, well, shit on that then. And then he said, well, we could end up adding two teams in Queensland. Oh, we want to have an extra team in New Zealand. It's like, well, do one single thing. Just one fucking step. Just put a fucking logo on a hat. You know, put a something, anything. Do something. Well, I mean, we had had someone on the podcast who'd, who'd done all of that. Yeah. And yet he's not being given an opportunity. And they're saying, oh, we'll go with this Firebirds one or some other thing. And you're going, this bloke's been ready for you know, almost a bloody decade. He's got all the infrastructure ready to go. You just need to give him the tick. Yeah, he's like, well, I'm ready yeah. to rock and roll right now. Let's go, so, let's go, let's go. Mm, nah, we might go somewhere else instead. Or we might just go with another Brisbane thing that that, that doesn't exist yet. Let's just go with that bit instead. And like, what the fuck? So crazy. I don't know. Ah, the Muppet Show. It really is. Right, well, I guess that wraps that one up. Yeah, hopefully the next episode, we should talk about something nice and fun on the next episode. 
we'll, we might do a a more entertaining version of Ask Kenty, or maybe do some emails. Yeah, or maybe they tend a to be a bit combination more both. Eh? We could do a bit of both. Yeah, Ask Kenty your emails. Did did you see Ray Hadley is now on NRL 360? Isn't that fantastic? Mm, mm. Do you know if Ray Ray Hadley did one of those stupid midweek interview things with Matthew Johns? I I saw the previews for it, and I thought, like, of all of the different things I would like to do instead of watching that. Yeah. Um, Castrate myself. With the spoon. With a rusty spoon. Why not? Yeah. I, I saw it advertised and went, how, how come you pick that as your topic to interview, Matthew? You couldn't think of someone that people actually liked? i tell you what, though, right? I mean, you've got to remember, this bloke also interviewed Alan fucking Jones a few years ago, who just sat there and spewed out bald-faced lies for half an hour. But, you know, I had this thought, right? NRL 360 comes on. If you got, like, a couple of fire hoses and just flooded that set, how, how much better is rugby league? The problem you got, though, is that there'd be so much fucking hot air in there, it'd evaporate the water. <laughs> evaporate before it got to them. <laughs> Where's all this steam coming from? <laughs> are they going to call it... NRL 360 decibel echo chamber. Because <laughs> they're just going to be a bunch of blokes yelling at one another. Yeah, it's going to be weird, huh? Hey? It's bad enough listening to it now. It's going to be horrible. We should actually wait a couple of weeks, right? Until it, they, I don't know if he's on this week or what, but wait until we know he's on and then both watch it and give our thoughts. Mm, I'll try. Yeah, I'm, I'll, I'm, I'll I'm, give it a try. I've not watched NRL 360 at all this year other than a few snippets that I may have seen in passing just yeah. by flicking through channels. I've made no effort to watch it. Yeah, same. And when I see it's on, I choose to watch something else. Yeah, I do I the think same. I've watched, I think one the last time I, I saw it on, I decided to go and watch SpongeBob SquarePants instead. And I found that the rugby league content on SpongeBob <laughs> was far better than what was on NRL 360. Much more well thought out. Much more entertaining. Yeah. Much more accurate. Yeah. And much more detailed rugby league content on there too. <laughs> yeah. Fucking hell. You know, it was one of the funny things I saw, I think it was this weekend, was uh, there was a player left the field and I think it was Corey Parker. He's, the, he's on the sideline and he said, breaking news. Kieran Foran is off the field with a hand injury. It's like, can you calm down with the breaking news? If you use the term breaking news unironically, you're a tool. <laughs> oh, poor old Corey. Breaking news. It's like, no, he just left the field. Corey's biggest problem is, A, he's boring, and B, he takes himself far too seriously. Yeah. See, he's really fucking boring. Well, didn't you say he, he wrote a book and he just whinged about young players? He whinged about the fact people got paid more than him. Yeah. 
yeah, that's pretty much him. He's got no sense of humour. Uh, he's got no personality whatsoever. Who do you think is the who do you think is the best personality in terms of people that are in the media right now that as a former rugby league player? Best personality. Yeah. Oh. Um I don't know if there's any of them that are actually in the media. You don't so, get what, you don't get good personalities in the media too often. The only one I like Yeah, you know, we're talking about players that is. Former yeah, players. And I'm talking about yeah. the mainstream media too. Mm. Yeah. I don't know. Like, the only one I can think of is uh, Mark Geyer on Triple M. You know who else? Wendell Saylor on Triple M. I don't listen to the radio. It's, I only hear it really when I'm, you know, driving my car. But any time Triple M's on and, and it's the former players on there, not so much when they've got the journalists on there, but the former players, I think that... I really enjoy listening to them because they seem to be genuine in what they're saying. You know what I mean? Yeah. But uh, I can't think of too many outside of that. I think, um, no. I'm thinking of personality. Not not exactly good personality. <laughs> yeah. Personally, maybe Brett Finch. Oh, you know what? Uh, James Graham and Benji Marshall. Oh, yeah, actually. yeah. James, James Graham, very, very good personality. Um, Benji, too. Yeah. Yeah, they're very good. They're, they're, they're two personalities I can agree with. Yeah. Finchie has a very bold personality. Yes. Um, and I'll say this. I'll say this in his defense. When he chooses to be serious and actually have serious discussion about rugby league, He's quite switched on. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just disappointing that sometimes he decides to go down the path of being a bit of a clown. Um, when he when he steers away from the clown stuff, he's actually got some some very good opinions and views. Mm-hmm. And I find myself agreeing with a lot of his views more often than not. Yeah, it's just unfortunately he tends to go down the whole being you know being being one of Matty Johns's clowns. Yeah. I think I think the best thing for his career in the media is to spend less time around Matthew Johns because I think he'd be an absolutely brilliant rugby league mind if you got him away from that that clown. It's a pretty solid rule in life, really, isn't it? Yeah, it's one I work by. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, it's got me where I am today. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's been a good episode. I'm glad we did this. It's, I feel the frustration leaving my body. Yeah, I, I don't yet, but uh, it, it has been good to get a fair bit of it out of the system. Yeah. No I'm, glad that, I'm glad that we waited the extra day because if we hadn't, I think I'd, it just would have been lots of yelling by both of us. Yeah, we, need, we needed to mellow a little bit so we didn't, you know, do an NRL 360 on your eardrums, people. Yeah, 100%. Um. Now, just before we wrap this up, I want to say, if you haven't checked out our Instagram page this week, my God, that thing's gone nuts. It looks good, hey? Yeah, it's been going crazy. It's, it's kind of active. Yeah. 
it was taken over by somebody that's an expert in the field. That's right, and it looks like it too. Mm. Um, so thanks, Nadine. She's now in charge of our Instagram page. Um, we've we've tried to give her the keys to the the MySpace page, but she's less keen on that. <laughs> yeah, she was, she was like, "Is it two thousand and four? And we yeah. said no, and she said, "Well, I don't need to be on MySpace." It, on it's okay. Mind. We'll keep chipping away at her. She'll she'll be on it soon. Yeah, yeah, we'll get we'll get there eventually. Exactly. Um, make sure you let us know what content you want on the MySpace page. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> give it to her. We'll pass it on. <laughs> yeah. We'll get her onto all our social. She can run the whole lot of it. How much are you paying her for it? Two bitcoins per day, mate. If I've got two bitcoins left, <laughs> can we not talk about that at the moment? <laughs> I've got it up on my screen at the moment. There's lots of red. Ah, <laughs> uh, dude, that's not good. No. Um, yeah. All right. So uh, make sure you you uh, check us out on the socials at Instagram and Twitter on Fergo Freak Pod. We're on LinkedIn, YouTube, MySpace, uh, Facebook. So check us out on all of those. Like us, subscribe, yada yada yada. Um, make sure you give us a five star rating and a review on your podcast listening app. And when you do, obviously we'll get it. We'll put it up on our website, so you can be forever immortalized as as a legend, as a bare minimum. Yeah. Um, you can also leave us a comment on the website, Freaky. Yeah, go to com. Go to the contact section. Leave us an email. That's right. We've got an email episode coming up very soon, so get them in mm-hmm. and uh, we'll answer those. Mm-hmm. Um, that's pretty much it, isn't it? Yeah, thanks, everyone, for listening. Yeah, it's been a long one. Um, that's what she said. Since I've done one of those, uh, thanks for tuning in, everyone. Catch us all next time.